Morning. So good to see you. We're in part three of our sermon series for the new year called New Year Old Wisdom. I want to tell you uh, about a hobby that I picked up about 10 years ago, and it was because a friend of mine uh, had this classic BMW, and I fell in love with it, and um, I started picking up this hobby of owning classic BMWs, and in the last 10 years, I've owned about five of them. I think it's normal. My wife thinks it's a problem, but r- more recently, uh, what, I've, uh, uh, what I own is an 80s 3 Series, and now, if you don't know this, in the 80s, auto manufacturers, they began to implement into vehicles this self-diagnostic system, and it's what we know as check engine lights or other lights that you might see on a vehicle. And what these lights were designed to do is they were supposed to tell the owner of the vehicle that there was something going on internally that needed to be addressed. Now, on the car that I own currently that I'm, uh, I'm listing right now, uh, I have been chasing a check engine light uh, for about a year now. And I say chasing because this light would come on and then it would go off and then it would come on and go off. And so I didn't think, I knew something was going on, but I didn't think that I needed to address it. And uh, it would come on depending on how fast I was driving or hard I was driving or the conditions outside, whatever it may be, to the point that the check engine light actually came on and stayed on the car. And my car began to act a little funky. The performance was not the same. Uh, There were some idling issues. And so I took my car to a mechanic. And what the mechanic did is that he has a scanner. And he plugs a scanner into the car. And the scanner will tell the mechanic, based on this light that's on, exactly what needs to be addressed. And so I got the issue fixed. My car is good to go. And I share all this with you because if you're looking for a classic BMW, let me know mine's for sale. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, We've been talking about wisdom the last few weeks, and wisdom, I think, works in a very similar way to a check engine light on our car. See, wisdom, as we've heard the last few weeks, it tells us what to watch out for. Wisdom tells us what's happening internally, and wisdom even shows us what we have the capacity to do as human beings. A few weeks ago, we looked at what it means to make wise decisions. Last week, we talked about the power of our words. Life and death, Solomon said, lies in the power of our words. And when it comes to these lights that we see on our car, some are more obvious to diagnose than others, right? You guys all know this because we're in the suburbs, and I assume most of you, if not all of you, own a vehicle. And so there are some that's obvious, like your car says uh, there's the windshield wiper light that comes on that's telling you that you need to put more fluid in. You guys all know what that is, and so you do that. And then there might be some other more uh, obvious ones, like it's cold outside right now, so your tire pressure might be low, and your car might tell you that you need to make sure you check that out. Um, There's another one that's obvious, but it's not to my wife, is that the gas light, when it's empty, you're supposed to fill it. Instead of bringing the car home on empty. Some are very obvious to diagnose. And this is the same way when it comes to wisdom in our lives. Last week, for example, I talked about the power of our words and the power of speech. That one's kind of obvious. In fact, most of the people that I talked to after service, you guys came up to me and said, thank you, I need to work on my speech. That's exactly what I needed to hear. This is the area that I'm struggling in. Because why all of us? would say that we struggle with how we talk at times. There are some times where we say some things when we're not at our best that we regret. And so some are more obvious. There are other lights that are more difficult to diagnose, and there there are other parts of our hearts that are more difficult to diagnose, and that's especially true of what we're talking about today. And today we're going to dive into the topic of envy. Now, envy is something that we don't often talk about, and it's difficult to diagnose 
primarily because many of us don't think that it needs to be addressed. There's some guys in the car world that I know on these older cars, they'll literally go behind the gauge and they'll remove the bulb of a light that's bothering them. And so they don't have to worry about it, they don't have to look at it, they don't have to fix it, and they're saying, we're fine, I don't want to see this light anymore. They might even sell the car to someone that does not know that there's something wrong with the car. This is oftentimes what we do when it comes to envy. There are some symptoms in our lives that's pointing to envy, but we say, I don't really know if I need to address this thing called envy. This is what we do. One philosopher, when it comes to envy, he said this, the only thing worse than envy is denying that it ever existed. I think this is what makes envy tricky. Uh, we don't really talk about it. Uh, we don't really address it. You guys uh, aren't starting off the new year with a resolution to fix envy in your life. There's not many Sunday services typically where people will come up and say, I really need you to pray for the envy that's going on in my life. And this is something that I used to do. I never thought that envy was a problem until God exposed some things in my life. And all of it was rooted in envy. And I'll get to that in a moment. But Solomon had something to say about envy, and we've been looking at the wisdom literature of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. He says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. Envy destroys the core of who you are, Solomon says. So before we dive in, let's define envy for a moment. Here's what envy is. Envy is defined as a feeling of displeasure and ill will because someone else has an advantage over you. Envy is a feeling towards another person that you might have because of something that you want that someone else has in your life. Something that you've greatly desired in your life, someone else has, and so envy starts to stir up in your heart. In the Bible, envy is defined literally as, as a burning passion. In the Hebrew uh, uh, language that the Bible was originally written in in the Old Testament, the word there for envy is kin-ah, and it means this burning or glowing or literally a person turning red. There's so much passion and feeling inside of you. Why? Because someone else has something that you desire. And this is where envy starts in in our lives. And let me say this before I dive in. This is a really difficult one to diagnose. Like talking about speech is easy because everyone would say, yes, I need to work on my speech. Envy is difficult because envy is a little tricky. Envy is difficult for us to acknowledge at times. So here's what I want to do this morning, and I want to invite you to join me in peeling back the layers of our heart to expose where envy, the poison, might have crept in in our lives. And we start off, I think, the best place to start off is by looking at the psalmist. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 73 writes about his own envy, and he's very honest, probably more honest than many of us would be. Here's what he says, Psalm chapter 73, verse 3. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people, and they're not plagued with problems like everyone else. Have you ever found yourself saying something like this? I envy them, if I could admit it, because they live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy, he says, so strong. They don't have troubles like other people. Whether we want to admit it or not, many of us find ourselves saying things like this all the time. We desire what other people have, and so envy creeps up in our lives. You say, their life is so much better than mine. Their body is so much better than mine. He's so much stronger than me. She's so much thinner than me. Look at her. She has a thigh gap. And they don't have many problems. My family just can't catch a break. 
We have problems over and over that keeps happening. But for them, everything goes well. There's no problems in their lives. They keep getting nicer cars and better raises and more promotions. My pregnancy, her pregnancy was so smooth. I've struggled through every single one. She found a husband. I'm still single. They got into that school and I can't get into it. Their kids are so athletic and mine can barely walk. This is what envy does to us. We begin to desire what people have in their lives to the point that it begins to do something in our lives. We begin to take our eyes off what we have in front of us and we begin to look at what everyone else has. When Solomon says envy rots the bones, he's saying envy is a poison. It's kind of like this acid that deteriorates who you are as a person. And here's what it does. It starts with this desire for what someone else has, but then it begins to drain you of your own joy and happiness. It begins to drain you of who you are. Let's go back to the psalmist who said that he envied. Here's the realization that he comes to in verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. As my heart became bitter, I realized because of envy, I was torn up inside. I was messed up. This is one of the things that envy does to us. It drains us. Tim Keller has this great sermon on envy called The Evil of Envy. And in it, he makes a point that I wanted to share with you guys. He says this, envy is the only sin that has no advantage on its own. And I thought that was so interesting. So if you think about the seven deadly sins, you know, there are, there are so many sins, but think about some of the categories of sin, like the seven deadly sins, and they all have some sort of momentary advantage to them. So take, for example, the sin of gluttony. Right? You might affect your body and you might not feel well and it might not be good for your health or your weight and all that stuff. But for a moment, it feels good to take part in gluttony. Think about lust. Lust will always leave you empty-handed, but for a moment, there's this momentary pleasure. Think about pride. Pride will leave you humble, the Bible says. But for a moment, you feel like you're better than someone else and it makes you feel better. Think about the sin of slothfulness. The advantage might be that you don't have to work as hard as everyone else for a little bit. You might not make it far in life, but you get to not do as much. There are little bits of advantages to each and every single sin that we find, except envy. There's no advantage to envy. It simply sucks the life out of you. It drains you of your joy and your happiness. That's why Solomon says it will rot your bones because it destroys your ability to have joy and happiness. And what? In what you already have. You'll never have true joy and happiness if you're caught up wanting what others have. You're chasing their marriage, their life, their kids, their money, their status, their house. You'll never be satisfied with your friendships, your body. Nothing you have is ever going to be good enough because you are too busy envying what other people have. And we're left with the reality that we don't have what they have. And we're just not good, fun people to be around because there's no joy inside of us. Why would anyone sign up for this way of living, yet we find ourselves falling for the temptation of envy? We find ourselves doing this all the time. We get caught up with comparing ourselves with others. This is what envy does. It begins to wear you down. It removes your ability to be joyful. So envy is you desiring what someone has to the point that it drains you of your joy. But here's what the poison, the acid of envy continues to do in your life. Not only do you not have joy on your own, it removes your ability to have joy for other people in your life. 
You no longer can celebrate other people in your life. I shared this study with you guys uh, maybe a few years ago, and there was a study that was done at Harvard University with the students, and they polled the students there, and they gave them two options. Option one, you're going to get a new job, you get to make $50,000. Option two, you get a job, and you get to make $100,000. We'd all pick number two, right? But there's a catch. If you pick option one, the $50,000, the lesser of the two, everyone in your life will make half as much as you. If you pick the $100,000, the, the, the greater amount of money, everyone in your life will make twice as much as you. And the results of the poll found that most of the students chose option A, the lesser of the two, because why? They're okay with what they have as long as everyone else around them has a little less. This is the vice of humanity. I see this in my kids. I have a three-year-old, five-year-old. Uh, they have toys that they have not touched since their newborn years. It's collecting dust. We finally bring it out for our one-year-old. and what They want it now. They're fighting over it, crying over it, beating her up, and all, all sorts of things. Why? Envy. We're okay with what we have as long as other people don't have it or have less than us. This is what envy does. It removes our ability to be joyful for what people have, even if they have more than us. Why is this important? Why should we be joyful for others? This is the Christian duty. Because God has loved us, we extend that love to the people in our lives. But we can't do that if we have envy in our lives. Look how Paul puts it to the Roman church. He says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. In other words, we are supposed to enter into the joy of other people. We're supposed to enter into their joy. We're supposed to share their joy with them. And the same in their mourning. We're supposed to weep with them, he says. It's very practical. Weep, cry with others when they cry. Envy does the opposite. Envy makes you grieve when other people rejoice. And this is why envy is so tricky. No one wants to admit it. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, right? Like if we could all be honest, it's kind of embarrassing to admit. No one likes to admit that they have a problem with envy. This is the part of envy where you and I, we become like the guy that removes the bulb from the check engine light because you don't have to deal with it. Because it's kind of yucky, it's kind of gross. How many of us can truly admit that we struggle with envy? And if we're not going to peel back the layers of our heart to expose what's deep down inside that's affecting who we are, our relationship with God and relationship with others, we're not truly being disciples of Jesus. So how many of us can truly Truly admit it. If I'm being honest with you, I've struggled with it. And I found God exposing this in my life. Like I struggle sometimes celebrating certain people. It's just me, you guys don't do, deal with that? I struggle with it at times. It's not like I want them to fail or I'm throwing a party, you know, if they fail. But there's something in me that I just can't celebrate at times with certain people. And I realize it's envy that has crept into my life. Envy keeps you from saying to someone, you're doing so well, and there might not be anything to it other than that you are better than me, more gifted than me, better looking than me, more called than me. Envy keeps us from being able to say that with other people. Envy keeps us from celebrating other people's success, rejoicing when they rejoice. Envy will not let you say that to another human being. Because why? Why? You want what they have, so you can't be happy for them. Envy, though, is a poison. 
It's kind of like this acid. It, it gets worse. It's very yucky. It's very gross. Not only do we have a hard time being, hap- uh, being happy for those who are happy, we get a little happy when that person starts to grieve. So there's that person. They got the nice house, the nice cars, the thigh gap, their kids are athletic, all the stuff is going on for them. And then you find out their athletic kids are not doing so well in school. And what envy does for you in your heart is you feel a little happy about it. Right? You say, like, yeah, they need to be taken down a few notches. Like, everything's going well for them. It's about time some things started to fall apart in their lives. We begin to rejoice when other people grieve. This is what envy does. It's so yucky. It's so gross. It's a poison. It ruins who we are. That's why Solomon says it rots us to the core. And as a result of your inability to be happy with those who are happy, and because you're happy when they fail, your relationships with these people start to drift apart. It starts to splinter. That person doesn't feel celebrated by you. You don't feel celebrated by them as a result. That person's not really sure if you want the best for them and just starts to go like this. We said that wisdom is one of the most important qualities that you and I can possess this year. And I think for many of us, many of you, maybe 2023 was a year where there were broken relationships. You struggled with friendships or your in-laws or whatever it might be or just satisfaction in life. I wonder if envy is the thing that's gotten in between the relationships in your life. In your families, your in-laws, coworkers, friends, neighbors. Maybe that gap is filled with this poison called envy that creeps in at times. Envy cuts us off from true fellowship, from, from true unity. Envy is a dividing wall that Jesus destroyed over 2,000 years ago. This is why envy is a problem. So envy is you desiring what other people have to the point where it drains you of your joy, to the point where it destroys your ability to have joy for other people. But here's what makes envy truly a poison. See, if you think about the topics that we've covered and we're going to cover in this series, they could all seem like a self-help, right? Make better decisions, be better with your words, don't be envious. And you'll find everyone writes about envy. Philosophers write about envy. You'll find people in the Enlightenment era, they all wrote about envy. You'll find uh, Buddhists write about envy. Muslims write about envy. In fact, last week the New York Times put out an article telling students not to be envious. So why does envy matter from the lens of God? Why does it truly matter to us as followers of Jesus? Here's why this matters. You and I, most of us in this room, have heard the gospel message. And here's the gospel message, that the God of the universe loved you so much that he gave himself up for you. He didn't do it from a distance. He didn't just tell it to you. He gave himself up for us to the point that he became flesh and uh, died on the cross for you and I. And as he resurrected on the third day, you and I have access to newness of life. You and I believe the gospel message. That's what it is, that God so loved the world, a broken world, a, a sinful world, a world that did not always love him, that he gave himself up for them. That whoever believes in him will not perish but will live forever. This is the gospel message. And so here's what that means. If you've heard that message, if you've believed that message, let me remind you of what that means for you. If you believe the gospel message, it means that from this day to the day that you die, there's no amount of success that you can have in life that will make God love you anymore. Also means that from this day to the day that you die, there's no amount of failure that you can have in your life that will make God love you any less. That's the gospel message. And if you and I truly believe that, 
If we truly understood that, we would realize envy is the enemy of our satisfaction in God's love for us. Because we're not content with that unconditional love and status and identity that comes through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. This is why envy is a problem. Envy has removed our ability to be satisfied in God. Worship band, you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up this morning. Envy is the enemy of God's love for you. The psalmist, he talks honestly about the envy in his life, and then he realizes that he was a bitter person. I love where he lands at the end of chapter 73. Here's what he says. He realizes this. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good is it to be near God? I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. The psalmist has gotten to a point where he is totally satisfied and content with God. He says, whom have I except for you, God? You are my strength. I desire you more than anything else on this earth. What would it look like for us to get to that point in our lives? Say, God, I desire you more than my desire for what that person has. I desire you more than my greatest desire in life for that thing that I want or that accomplishment that I want or where I want my kids to go. I simply just desire you. I am satisfied in you and in you alone. Envy has destroyed many of, for many of us, our ability to be just satisfied in God and His love for us. Envy, for some of us, has derailed us of God's purpose for us. We desire what other people have. We don't have it, so we don't have joy in our hearts. And then we can't be joyful for them. We're even a little joyful when they fall. And then, because of all this, we can't be satisfied in God. If you're not satisfied in God and what he has for you and who he calls you to be, then you can never enter into the purpose that God has only for you. You can never run in the lane that God has only for you. Not for the person next to you, not for your parents, not for your siblings. He has a plan and a purpose only for you. Envy distracts us from God's purpose for our lives. This, in the summer, uh, this summer, the Olympics are back. One of the things that I love to watch is track and field. Imagine you're watching the Olympics this year and the runners line up and they each have their lane to run in. They get lined up to run. The pistol goes off and they take off and you see one runner just looking at the other runners, looking at how fast they're going, their cadence, and what they're wearing, and how good they look. They're further at, ahead than, imagine they did that. They would never accomplish finishing the race that they set out to finish on their own because they're so busy, distracted. You can get disqualified by stepping into other people's lanes. This is what many of us do because of envy. We're so busy looking this way and this way when God has called you to look down and run forward. Run the race that is set before you, the writer of Hebrews says. Envy for many of us has distracted us from God's purpose for our lives. I shared with you earlier how I dealt with envy in my life. And one of the areas where I most sense 
the poison of envy is right after I graduated uh, Bible college for the first time I went in 2009 I felt there was this miraculous experience in my life where God confirmed a lot of things and I went into ministry and I went to Bible college and I knew deep inside that there was something that God wanted me to do and I thought it would be right after I graduate so I graduate the Bible college and then I find myself not having a job not knowing what to do so I moved back home with my parents in New York and I'm staying with my parents and I'm serving at my church but then I look and I see a lot of my friends that graduated from school they're getting jobs at churches they're writing books they're putting out worship albums they're traveling in the country and then envy begins to creep into my life I begin to say look at them they're doing all these things why am I not accomplishing all these things it was about a three year period where nothing happened in my life between graduating and then between me stepping into ministry at a church for the first time nothing happened and it was three years of me second-guessing, looking at everybody else, to the point, there was a point in my life, as I started dating my wife, Crystal, at the time, there was a point in my life where I told her, maybe ministry is not for me. Maybe I just need to go do something else. Maybe going to Bible college was a mistake. Envy almost stripped me of my calling because I was so busy looking at what God was doing in everyone else's life that I forgot that he was building something inside of me. There was this resiliency that he was building inside of me. There's something greater that I did not know what he was doing. And the only thing that kept me like just right there is me being with Jesus. Just being content with him. I had that foundation. Even going back to, to Bible school, I had this foundation of just being with him every single day just alone in the woods every single day at 5 a.m. every single day over and over and that carried me through right after in that difficult dry season where I found myself comparing myself to the entire world second guessing who I am second guessing God envy is so poisonous I look back and I go envy almost changed the trajectory of my life this is why it's so important for you and I to address this issue of envy. What would it look like for us to just be satisfied in what God has for you? Some of you need to know God has something just for you. That means that you are the right mother for your kids. You are the right father for your kids. You are in the right stage right now and God has got you even though you are sick. Everything will be okay even though your sickness is not going well and everyone else's health is going better than yours. Whatever it may be, you need to know that the lane that you're in, nobody else can come into. So just look down, stop comparing yourself to other people, stop letting it drain the joy out of you, celebrate with others, be content with God. And I just wanna give you three things that you can do because there's one thing that I learned in the car world that preventative maintenance when it comes to your car is better than a costly repair that you're forced to make. And so here's three things that you can do to prevent envy from creeping into your life this year. Number one, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Wake up every day if envy is a struggle for you and you find yourself just being unsatisfied with life or your family or your kids or yourself or even with your relationship with God, just write out everything that you're grateful for. Start with that you can breathe right now. 
you have breath in your lungs. If everything you have, just write it down. And what gratitude does is gratitude kills envy. Gratitude kills jealousy. Gratitude points you to what God has done in your life and is doing in your life. Some of us have never written down things that we're grateful for. Number one, practice gratitude. Number two, pray for those you envy. This one's a little difficult. Pray for those you envy. Pray for their success. Pray that they get better jobs and their kids are even more athletic. And their thigh gap gets bigger. I don't know, I just keep talking about thigh gaps. Pray for them. If you're praying for them, you'll realize when you pray for them, your relationship doesn't go like this. In the spiritual realm, you begin to come like this with that person. Your prayer for that person unites you with them again. To the point you can celebrate them, you can be joyful for them, you can support them, you can check in on them, whatever it may be. Prayer unites you when envy has separated you from people in your life. Number three, practice gratitude, pray for those you envy. Number three, pursue Jesus. Just get along with God this year. Start your day with a reading plan. Start your day with time with Jesus. Join a life group this semester. Surround yourself with people. Go to church more, whatever it may be, but pursue time with Jesus. When you do that, you'll find yourself finding, being more satisfied in Him. And here's what pursuing Jesus does for you and I, and what envy can never do for you. When we pursue Jesus, we become satisfied in Him despite what we have and what we don't have. like this year if you weren't bitter unhappy unsatisfied with life and if you rejected this poison of envy that Solomon warns us of because he says a happy life a satisfied life finds peace but envy envy can rot to the core let me pray for us this morning God we thank you